Well, okay. Good morning again. Happy Easter. I trust this has already been an encouragement and a blessing to you this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today. What we're going to do now is just take a little bit of time looking at a passage from God's Word. We're going to talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you there, I would love you to turn to this passage in 1 Peter. If you can use a Bible app, whatever it is, your computer, look up 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. I'm going to read this passage, and then we're just going to talk about it for a minute. So if, once you find it, go ahead, and I'm going to read it for us right now. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's God's word. Uh, let me just take a moment and just pray and ask God's blessing on this time in his word, and then we'll dig into this. Um, God, we just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for what it reveals to us about you. I pray you'd help us to understand what it is you want to show us today about yourself, uh, whatever that might be. And as we consider this incredible truth that we're celebrating today, may the, the hope of that just inspire our hearts, inspire our lives, and, and, and change us and transform us today in just the ways you want. I pray you do that by, by your strength and by your power. And, and as I always ask now, God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. All right, well, no, no surprise to anyone, this is, is undoubtedly going to go down for, for millions of people around the world today as the, the strangest, as the most unusual Easter they've ever celebrated. I mean, I guess so far, because who knows, but so far, the most unusual Easter celebration ever, like with the world on, on lockdown right now, everyone basically held hostage in their homes by this deadly, highly contagious, yet completely invisible enemy. Um, all travel plans canceled and, and corporate gatherings suspended until further notice. Easter, at, at least as so many of us are used to celebrating it, it's just simply not possible this year. It's, it's not possible. And, and honestly, in, in light of that reality, a question on many of our minds right now could very likely be, should we even bother with Easter celebrations at all this year? Should we even do it? Like, like really, is it even appropriate to celebrate at such a time like this when, when thousands around the world dead, uh, millions sick, the, the, the economy in free fall, millions out of work, all of this going, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be more sensitive, wouldn't it be more considerate at a time like this to simply take a pass on, on something like Easter celebrations as the world grieves right now and fights to catch its breath? 
a question to which I would respond by saying, yes, yeah, yeah. Actually, if, if Easter is, is nothing more than a, a treasured tradition in the Christian calendar uh, uh, that, that we just love to celebrate about an important event in history, but that actually has no direct relevance today, that provides no real offer of, of hope at all to anyone's life today, absolutely, we, we should take a pass on Easter this year. But given the fact that Oh, you're still watching this right now. My guess is that you believe that Easter, like your understanding is that it's actually far more profound than simply a remembrance of something that took place 2,000 years ago. Or, or even if you're just exploring the Christian faith right now, that you're at least curious to see if it might be more than that. Well, it's certainly my own conviction that the celebration of Easter is, is, is essential in our world right now today, actually particularly in a time like this. Listen, though, not because I'm a pastor. That, that's not the reason. The reason I believe that is because the enduring, the, the unfading hope found in the empty grave, the hope found in, in a risen Jesus 2,000 years ago is a hope that I have personally experienced myself now today. I've experienced it to be true in my own life. That's why I think it's so essential. I've experienced it to be true both like right now in this present crisis that we're going through and I've experienced it to be, to be true in every other circumstance I've faced where hope seems impossible to find anywhere else. I've, I've found this to be true, so that's why I think this is so essential. Meaning, really, uh, as I understand, the true celebration of Easter has, has nothing to do with maintaining traditions, and everything to do with an offer of real, reliable hope that can enable you to continue to stand even when trials and suffering rob us of every other person, place, and thing that we look to to find hope in this life. And that's the thing, right? Like, hope is something every single one of us are, are, are seeking to find. And, and hope like this in particular, right? This, this is the kind of hope we're all looking for, and, and this kind of hope we're always going to be in need of, because I don't know if you can remember this far back or not, but, but there were all kinds of circumstances happening in this world before COVID-19 that, that made us feel overwhelmed, that made us feel hopeless, that made us feel like we, we couldn't go on anymore, and there's going to be no shortage of them after COVID-19 either. In fact, the only unique thing about this present crisis is that it's, for, it's forced all of us on a global scale to, to, test, to test our go-to sources of finding hope and having to come to grips with the fact of just how fleeting and unreliable so many of them are. So, so where can we find a sure source of hope in this life that, that doesn't just allow us to survive or cope with suffering, but that can actually enable us to thrive and, and, and even to have joy like right in the midst of it. Well, according to our passage today in 1 Peter, the, the one source of hope like that, that, that is truly secure and that is always available to us, whatever the circumstances might be, is found in the resurrection of Jesus. 
It's found in the, in the resurrection of Jesus, which if you didn't know, that, that's kind of the whole point of Easter celebrations going on all around the world today. And why I believe Easter, the celebration of Easter is still absolutely appropriate and necessary this year. Because this is where that kind of hope is found. And we'll dig a little bit more into why that is and, and how Jesus' resurrection from the dead offers us hope as we go here. But if you've still got that Bible with you, Bible app or whatever, I'm just going to ask you, would you open it up or open it back up to that passage there? Just so, First Peter, again, First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, and just follow along with me as we go through this. I hear as Peter teaches us about this kind of hope that we're all seeking, that this, what he calls here a living hope showing us what it is, how we get it, and then how we make use of it. Showing us what this hope is, how do we get it, how do we use it. Okay, so, first of all, what, what is this living hope? Let's, let's see what Peter says. What, what is this living hope? Well, first thing you need to understand before we get into exactly what it is Peter says that this living hope is, is we need to understand that the word hope in the Bible doesn't mean what we, you, you and I usually mean when we use that word. Okay, when, when you and I use the word hope, what we usually mean is we're talking about wishful thinking about something that we want to happen, but we're not sure actually will. So, you know, we'll say things today like, I, I hope they're able to find a, a, a vaccine for, for this virus by next month. I hope that can happen. I hope I passed that exam that I just finished writing online. Maybe, maybe you're saying, I hope my husband doesn't forget our wedding anniversary again this year. Whatever it is. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it doesn't use it in the same way. When the Bible uses the word hope, what it means is this, a confident expectation of something that we trust will happen. That's how the Bible uses the word hope. And so we just, we just need to know that coming out of the gate here. Otherwise, everything else Peter tells us about this hope isn't going to have even half the meaning that he intended. The other thing to note quickly is that whatever else this hope is, it's, this hope is something that can enable, it can enable you to have joy even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of a crisis or whatever else is going on. And you see that in verse 6 here. Peter says this, in this, in this hope, that is, you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. They're happening at the same time. And he says, with this kind of hope, they're both possible. So this hope, I mean, this, it totally meets the description of what the kind of hope we're all looking for, right? It's something that we can have a confident expectation of receiving, and it's something that's completely untouchable by the circumstances of life. And what this hope is, Peter describes at the beginning of verse 4 there as an inheritance. That's what he says this hope is. It's an inheritance, which for most of us means just usually a certain sum of money, a piece of property that's given to us when someone dies. I don't know, maybe, maybe you were like me as a kid, or apparently my wife did this as well. You, when you were at your grandparents' house, you know how you would go around their house, and if you had a favorite toy, favorite thing you loved in your house because you were a kid and you didn't know any better, you'd, you'd go up to your grandparents with that thing and be like, hey, can I have this when you die? And, and they would usually, usually answer you graciously. That, that, that's a much smaller picture of, of inheritance. But what Peter has in mind here is the kind of inheritance where all of someone's wealth that belongs to that individual is legally transferred into your possession. 
That, that, that's the kind of inheritance we're, we're talking about here. Like, it's an inheritance, like, sure, if, if you were to get an inheritance from me today, maybe that's not too big a deal. You're going to be like, oh, great. But if it's an inheritance, he says, from God, all of a sudden, that's, well, that's a way bigger deal, right? But the thing about an inheritance, when you think about that, at least from our just everyday human perspective, an inheritance is not always such a great thing. It's not always a completely secure thing. And what I mean by that is there's all kinds of different factors that can influence and affect whether or not you're actually going to take possession of that inheritance. All kinds of things can threaten it. Like maybe, maybe the person who's promised you that inheritance, maybe they head down to Vegas and have a bad weekend and all of a sudden gamble away all of their wealth and now your inheritance is zero. Or maybe you just mess up royally, you deeply offend that person and they just write you out of the will. Sorry, all done and now, once again, inheritance zero. Or maybe you just die before that person. And so now whatever you would have inherited, now it's going to go to someone else. So, so there's all kinds of things that can threaten and influence our ability to receive an inheritance in this life, which is why it's such, such good news that Peter adds four words, four descriptions to this idea of a living hope, this inheritance that he says in the second half of verse 4, telling us this inheritance is four things. He says it is imperishable, it is undefiled, under, unfading, and kept. Actually, kept in heaven, which very simply means what, what makes this inheritance from God completely unique from any other inheritance we could receive is this inheritance from God has no best before date. It's pure. It's never going to depreciate in value, and it is 1,000% secure. And, and we could spend a whole bunch of time talking about how incredible each one of those descriptions are, but just think about it. G given all the risks and uncertainties we just saw that were included in any inheritance we might be promised here on earth alone. And honestly, I, I think what the world is being shown right now on a global scale is that those same risks apply to anything we put our hope in that isn't from God. What Peter is trying to demonstrate for us here, very simply, is the absolute reliability, the, the security or trustworthiness of this hope found in Jesus. And actually, it's that last description of this inheritance in particular, kept, that makes this possible. For do you see, because it's kept in heaven... It's kept out, uh, out of our reach. It's forever kept out of the reach and the influence of any and every earthly circumstance that could threaten it. Listen, including your own failures and mistakes. It's kept completely out of reach, which is something no other person, no other thing we look to for hope in this world could ever offer. Which is why, in the end, this inheritance found in Jesus is the only hope that won't ever disappoint you. And that won't ever fail you, which is exactly the kind of hope that we're looking for, right? Okay, so that's what this living hope is. Peter says it's an inheritance. And I think that makes a lot of sense, actually, knowing how having an inheritance from God could give us hope, even in the midst of suffering, could give us joy. For, for Think about it, even in an earthly sense. Knowing that we had an inheritance coming from a, a grandparent or a relative or something gives us a much greater sense of, of hope, a sense of security, even if we happen to be facing present financial difficulties because we know there's a real offer of hope coming. We're not just like, gee, I hope I'll be able to find some 
money, but we know there's actually a promise of an inheritance coming. It gives us hope, even in the midst of that suffering. But, but, but now that we know what this hope is, the next thing we need to understand is, is how we can know this secure, unfading hope for ourselves. Like, how do we get it? How do we get this hope? And, and the answer to that question we see very clearly in verse 3. Look with me there. Peter says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so this is the reason in particular why I said earlier that I believe the celebration of Easter is still essential for us, even living in such unprecedented days as these. Because what Peter just said very clearly is that Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which again, that's the whole point of our Easter celebration. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is the means by which we can have this living hope for ourselves. Like this is, this is how we get it. Which means there's, there's something about what happened that Easter morning 2,000 years ago when a crucified Jesus rose up from the dead and, and walked out of that tomb alive that made this kind of hope that we're all looking for possible, like actually possible. Now, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, if, if you didn't know already, it is the defining miracle upon which everything else in the Bible stands or falls. Everything in Christianity rises or falls on this one thing, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That's why, really why Christians make such a big deal about this day in particular. Because if Jesus didn't actually rise bodily from the dead, if Jesus is dead in some tomb somewhere then what it means is that nothing else of anything Jesus said or did about himself is true. Nothing else is true. And, and it also means, sadly, that this, this hope that Peter's talking about here, it isn't true either. Because he says it's, it's through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. If that's not true, neither is this hope. But, but in order to understand why that is, we need to know why it is that Jesus died in the first place. Maybe if you've got no history with Christianity, maybe you're like, well, great, we're talking about him rising from the dead. Why did he die in the first place? Great question. Now, now of course, literally speaking, Jesus was, he was put to death by Romans on, on a cross on behalf of the Jewish religious leaders. That, that's historically the, the, the facts of how Jesus died. But what the Bible reveals is that there was actually far, far more going on behind the scenes than the Romans or the Jews at Jesus' day even knew because what the Bible tells us is that Jesus' death was actually something that had been planned by God all along. It was his plan all along. If we see the message of the Bible, like just tracing the whole message from the beginning, all the way back at the start, it's this, that although mankind once walked in perfect harmony with God and his creation, they, they rebelled against God. Sin came into the world, fracturing our relationship with God. But what the Bible also tells us is that in the very moment when our access to God became blocked, God made a promise that one day he would send a rescuer who would reconcile our broken relationship with him and make access to him possible once again. And what the Bible shows us clearly points to again and again is that Jesus is that rescuer. Jesus is the, the rescuer and his death 
was the payment that God's planned payment for our sins, which were blocking our access to God. Okay, so that's, that, that's why Jesus had to die, and that's why we, he ended up here in the grave. But, but then here's the thing that makes Easter so important, because what the resurrection of Jesus shows us, first of all, is that Jesus really is who he said he was. All through his ministry, Jesus is saying things like, he's from God, he, God is my father. He's, he's saying, I, I am God. That's what he's saying is true about himself. And that he said, I'm going to be put to death and I'm going to rise again on the third day. He told them that. But listen, anybody could say that. I could say that. But it's pretty hard to back up if you're not actually God, right? So in rising from the dead, first thing that shows us is Jesus really is who he said he was. But the second thing it shows us, what the resurrection means, the Bible tells us, is that God accepted Jesus' payment on our behalf. Jesus, God looked down in Jesus and in raising him from the dead, what it means and symbolizes is that God said, yes, I accept your payment on behalf of the sins of the world, which is incredibly important for a thousand different reasons. But as it relates to this secure, unfading hope that Peter's been talking about here and that we all want to know how to get for ourselves, it means, listen, this, this hope is, is real. It's real. Like, it's actually something that's available to us now, to, like today. It's not some sort of, I, I wish that were possible. I wish that that were something that were true. No, it's, it's actually real and available to you, this hope that can enable you to stand, that can enable you to actually have joy in the midst of this or any other circumstances that face you. But the problem with that is that just because Jesus' resurrection made this hope possible, that still doesn't mean you actually have it yet. You see that? As you see there in verse 3, although Jesus' resurrection is the means that makes this living hope possible, the way we actually take possession of it for ourselves personally is by faith. We take possession of it by faith. Well, faith in what? Well, faith in what the resurrection means. Faith in what the resurrection means. Namely, that, that, that Jesus is who he said it was, who he said he was, God in human flesh, and that his death paid the debt for my sins in full, which was the thing keeping me from access to God. Faith, faith in that. That's the thing that makes this hope personally mine. That's what Peter means there in verse 3 when he talks about being born again into this living hope. That's what he's talking about there. I don't know if you've ever heard that terminology before, but very simply, being born again, it's really just a metaphor speaking about how we begin a whole new life when we begin a relationship with God. When, when that, we, we, we accept who Jesus is and we begin a new relationship with him, that's just very simply born again. It's just what happens when we put our faith in that, when we believe that and, and trust it, it means, it means you're, you're agreeing with God that Jesus was his promised rescuer and that you needed him to rescue you from your sins. That's, that's very simply what, what it means. Putting your faith in what Jesus' resurrection means is how we become born again. 
Now, yes, Peter says that in verse 7 there that trials and suffering are, are like almost like taking the training wheels off of our faith to, to show we, we can see whether that faith is truly genuine and actually to help it to grow stronger in the midst of it. But, but it's not something you need to worry about. You don't need to say, well, how do I know if I have enough faith to, to get this hope? How do, how, if it's strong enough, the point is, is actually at the end of the day not at all that because it isn't at all about how much faith you have or, or if your faith is strong enough, but only about who it is you put your faith in. If your faith is in Jesus' resurrection, then you have this hope. So the way you get this living, secure, unfading hope for yourself is through faith in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. That's how you can have this hope yourself today, by faith in Jesus' resurrection, which I know it sounds way too easy, right? That sounds far too simplistic. Just say, oh, just believe and you have it. Um, no, there's got to be something we do, we reason, in order to get it. You don't just get something from what, but there's something we have to do to get, isn't it? But listen, no. That, that's the whole beauty of the message of Easter. The whole point is that there's nothing that we could do to get it. It's the reason why so many of our other hopes fail. We, we, we couldn't do anything to get this hope ourselves. And so God in his great mercy came and made access to that hope possible by sending Jesus to die and to be raised to life again. And faith is simply the acknowledgement that it's nothing of my own accomplishment that makes possession of this hope possible, but only my trust in His. That's what faith means. That's how we access it. That's how it becomes ours. Okay, so we've looked at what this hope is. An inheritance, we've talked about how we get it. Faith in Jesus' resurrection. Faith in what Jesus' resurrection means. The last thing I want to look at quickly is just, okay, so how do we use it? Once we have it, how do we use it? And I want to just take a minute to look at this with you, particularly if you're listening to this message right now this morning, and you're someone who would say you do have faith in Jesus' resurrection. I, I, I have this hope, but man, I'm, I, don't, I don't feel it right now. I don't feel hopeful. I don't feel secure and held. Because listen, like, let's just be real for a minute like, and, and honest. We're living in these unprecedented days where so many of the things that we put our hope in we put our trust in have revealed themselves as the false, fading, all too perishable hopes that they truly are. And we're scared, right? We're scared. I'm scared. Like, yeah, maybe we're trying, we look fine on the outside. We're like, oh, yeah, it's going to be okay. But inside, we are freaking out. And each day, we get a whole new list of things to, to be freaking out about. And I'm saying this, this, this can be true, whether or not you have this hope in Jesus' resurrection or not. Maybe that's your experience right now. You're saying, I have this hope, but man, I'm still afraid. I'm, this is my own experience. This is me, honestly, talking to you right now. I have this fear many days, even though I believe I have this hope. I can even remember just like just a couple weeks ago, the first time I went into a grocery store during the midst of all this and just seeing the empty shelves, seeing the, the looks of, of fear and panic on people's faces just rose up fear and, and panic in me. And I'm just like, are we going to be okay? Are we going to make it through this? Am I going to be able to take care of my family? All these questions going through my own mind, even though I, I believe I have this hope. So what does Peter have to say to help the one who has this hope in Jesus' resurrection, but who's still deeply struggling right now? Because this 
We're wondering, is this hope going to be enough? And, 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 and Jesus can't see him. He, he feels so far away. Well, I think you see the answer in verse 8. Look with me there. Peter, Peter is just been talking in verse 6 and 7 about these various trials of different kinds experienced by those that he's writing to. And, and although, no, they weren't the same kind of trials and difficulties that we experience right now in 2020. They were no less lethal or devastating. In their circumstances, they were having their homes taken and, and burned and plundered and, and being actually, some of them even martyred for their faith. So, so it was no less desperate circumstances that he's writing to these people. But in response to all that, Peter says this. Look at verse 8 and 9. He says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, quickly, P Peter says to these people, you haven't seen him you haven't seen Jesus because he's writing to people who'd come to faith in Jesus' resurrection after he'd already returned to his Father in heaven. So they're actually in the same circumstance as all of us. We're, we're hearing about this hope. Maybe we've come to believe in Jesus' resurrection, but after he'd already raised and, and, and been raised from the dead and, and returned to his Father in heaven. So our circumstance is actually very similar to these people. But do you see Peter's answer there? Do you see his answer as to how we can use or, or, or recover or activate this hope in the midst of trials when, when we're freaking out, when we're feeling afraid and we can't see the object of our faith in the same way that, that those Jesus had appeared to after his resurrection had? See what he says in verse 8? He says, you love him. That's how. That's how we take hold of this faith and, and use it. He says, you love him. Which maybe at first sounds as overly simplistic to the one who has faith as faith does to the one who does not yet know this hope. But just I think what Peter is getting at here is that the way you begin to make use of this living hope when, when you haven't been or we haven't felt able to is to intentionally return to focusing on relational closeness with Jesus again, to, to love him. To focus on the relationship you have with him. To move beyond a theological understanding of Jesus alone, which as important as that is to have, to return to a passionate relational closeness with him as well. To access that, that connection with him. That's how you recover this hope when you haven't had it. Because that's the thing, right? We, we, can, we can know all kinds of theological truths about Jesus, but until, the, until those truths really become true and, and connected with our heart, with our emotions, they, they can still feel very distant, like, yeah, that's nice, but it feels like up here, it, doesn't, it feels like a way less real hope here in the present moment that we can actually rely on when the world is falling down all around us. One of the simplest ways you do this is that, is, is when you, in a season of suffering, when you're in a season of trial, is to take some of those big truths that you know about Jesus, about his love, about his power, about his grace, some of these things that you know about him and personalize them to yourself. 
And I'm saying particularly in that moment, this is, this is my own practice. This is what I'm doing in those moments where I'm feeling afraid, I'm not feeling hopeful. This is how I make use of it. I take these big truths I know about God's love for the world, and I remind myself in that moment about his love for me. I, so I, I could say things like, not, not just Jesus, I know you died and rose for the sins of the world, so I know you're powerful. But speaking those words out loud personally to myself, Jesus, I know you died and rose again for my sins. Not just if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. But Jesus, I praise you that because I'm in you and you're in me, I'm a new creation. I'm brand new. Not never will I leave or forsake you. Jesus, you've promised never will you leave or forsake me. And all of a sudden, do you, do you see it? It's like before, it's like you've had it all the time. You're like, you're like Dorothy with her ruby slippers in the Wizard of Oz. You, you've had the, the, the source of hope the whole time. You just haven't been making use of it. And it's in returning to that relational closeness, reminding yourself of and, and focusing on your love for Jesus. Your love for this Jesus who, who rose again from the dead. That it actually activates and, and brings about the, the hope back into your present reality. So it's something that actually makes a difference and brings about joy. Can bring about peace. Can bring about hope even in the midst of your circumstances. It's like, it's like in the same way that understanding true things about marriage, as great as that is, is nothing next to love for my wife. Which... which brings to life all those true things I know about marriage. In the same way, returning intentionally to a love for Jesus, seeking to focus on that, it just ignites, it, it really activates the secure, unfading hope in you, which up until this point you haven't been making use of. So yeah, yeah. Maybe today is the strangest most unusual Easter we've ever celebrated before, maybe that we ever will. But I trust you see now without a shadow of, of any doubt that however strange, however fearful our present circumstances might be, they do not for a second make our celebration of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus today any less needed or any less essential. In fact, what I'm praying you're seeing now is that the hope the, the real hope offered in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is exactly the kind of hope that we're all looking for, that we've been seeking in a thousand other places only to find, once again, to be disappointed because they fail us. Why? Because this living hope that Peter's talking about here is real. It's real, something you can really know and rely on, count on in this life. It's something that is real, it's imperishable. It's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven far out of the reach of every circumstance of life that render every other person, place, and thing we look to for hope powerless again and again and again. It's untouchable and it's unreachable, but it's available. I don't even need to ask. Actually, I already, I already know you desire to have a living hope like this. I know that because this is what we all want. This is what the kind of hope we're all seeking for. But if you've never known this hope yet yourself and, and you want to know it today, what I'm praying right now for you is that God would grant you the faith in this moment to believe in Jesus' resurrection and the hope of all that contains for you. 
that if that's where you're at right now, you say, I want to know this hope for myself, then just in a simple prayer of faith, saying, Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you really were who you say you were and that your death and your resurrection paid for my sins and that God accepted your payment for my sins. Make me your child. And, and in that moment, that hope, this, this unfading, unfailing hope becomes yours. I'm praying that if that's where you're at this morning, that would be your experience right in this moment if you want to know that hope for yourself. Or if you're someone, though, who says, no, I do know that hope. I do know that hope, but I haven't been experiencing Everything going on in this world right now is just making me feel fearful, and I don't feel that hope. I'm not making use of it. I pray your love for Jesus, returning to that, would activate that hope implanted in you so that whatever fearful circumstances you may face, you might still be enabled to stand. And, and not just to stand, but even as Peter says here, rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible, even in the midst of those circumstances, because that inheritance is real. That inheritance you have from God is secure, it's imperishable, it's unfading. And because of everything else the resurrection of Jesus shows us, because you can know that if Jesus was victorious over death itself, then there is no greater circumstance that could ever threaten that living hope that you now have in him. It's yours and it's yours until that hope and that faith become sight.